Well, let's welcome you back to Systematically Wild. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again with Kevin Luco as we go through the exciting week for the Minnesota Wild organization, including the Iowa Wild and the and the Iowa Heartlanders, I should say. Uh, Kevin, uh, not a particularly great week for any of the teams. I guess the Iowa Wild had the least uh, difficult season of the week, but uh, overall, this wasn't a very impressive time for the organization. Uh, if you're looking for good news about bad news, we're, we're your place. So <laughs> it's um, not going to be a week that's going to go down in organization history other than a big win by Minnesota to begin the week, but then things went south after that. And well, I was start with the Wednesday, so there you go. We did get a couple wins yes. this week. Yes, we did. So let's start with the ugliest of all, Kevin, and that is the Iowa Heartlanders, who did not have to play Friday, travel down to take on the Wichita Thunder uh, on Saturday and Sunday. And we're in both of these contests. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say for a moment that they were, you know, battered and bruised, um, but just could not get a victory in either one of them. And right, I thought both Peyton Jones and Hunter Jones played well in those games, but just not getting enough offensive production right now. It seems to be a broken record. You know, we're on the third year of this franchise, and love to see what their overall record is in one-goal games, and or you know, a game where it's a one-goal game, or maybe they give up an empty netter to make it a two-goal game because it just doesn't really seem that the Heartlanders are very often on the right side of the ledger, and it seems like more times than not they're losing these close games, then they are just getting blown away. So, you know, it makes it even more frustrating because you know they're right there, but they're not over the hump yet. On Saturday night, the team constantly chasing Wichita's game. They Three times they were down by a goal. Each time they came back to tie the score, Jesse Jocks, with his first goal of the season, 322 in the second, tied the score in that game after a scoreless first period. Then Maximum, Maxim, excuse me, um, I'm, is this uh, Kekovic? Is that the way there's – I, I don't know how to pronounce this, Kevin. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, twice scored in this contest to get Iowa back tied in this game at three. They do wind up giving up Xavier Pouliot's first goal, first career goal of his professional career. As a matter of fact, 13-31 into the third to wind up taking the loss. Hunter Jones played very well in this game, Kevin. 18 shots by Iowa in the third period, to holding to Wichita to eight, but could not find a way to get ahead in this game. And, and unfortunately, great comeback each time to get back into this game, but could not come away with a win. It's got to be frustrating for this club, and, you know, it um, just makes it even tougher for the coaching staff, too, to keep telling these guys, hey, you know, we're, we're right there. We're not winning these games, but we're right there. We're, we got the guys that could have real awesome wins to get right back into this thing, but it's got to be frustrating. You know, you lose a tight one on Saturday, and then we go into Sunday. Sunday, they jump out to a one nothing lead, 12-31 into the first, when David Cook scores his first goal of the year. And, man, I was I was loving the way that they were playing very strong defensively. They gave up 18 shots in the first period, but got fantastic goaltending out of Peyton Jones to keep themselves 
in the lead, second period, they they step up their offense a little bit. They had the better of the play and a, a number of great scoring chances for them in that period. Hold on out of that one nothing lead, then wind up giving up two goals early in the third period. Two goals within the span of about 60, 50 something seconds that they, it gives Wichita the lead. They come back to tie the game on Maxim's third goal of the weekend, and look like we're going to get at least a point out of this heading to overtime, but. Bradley Merrick scores 19.05 into the third. They add an empty netter for Wichita to come away with a 4-2 victory. But, you know, it's one of those things that you and I have watched this team and the Iowa Wild over the last few years, Kevin, and it has been that final minute of periods where they just have really struggled, and that came to bite them in the butt on Sunday. No doubt. Uh, I mean, how many times have we seen it within the last couple of years, just that late, late goal in the third period just – you know, gosh, you, you work your butts off um, for almost a complete game, and then one goal get, gets in in the last minute, and it's um, as much of a loss as if you would have lost five zip. It just, hockey sometimes is just not fair. Now, the challenge of this, Kevin, is that the team is going to head to Cincinnati on Friday and Saturday. Um, had the little road trip to go down to Wichita, and now they're having to take on a team that has been one of the classes of the uh, of this Central Division over the last couple of seasons. A, a team that Iowa has struggled against has not been particularly impressive, especially on the road in Cincinnati. Uh, right now, the Cyclones entered this will enter this series at it's a little struggling a little bit this season at one and three. So it's an opportunity to start getting something going on, but. All three and one to the first four games right now. You're getting pretty solid goaltending, but not much offensive production. And coaching staff's got to be scratching their heads a little bit about who's going to wind up being the guy to step up to produce some goals for them. And let's not forget, too, that uh, the Heartlanders have also lost Pavel Novak and Gavin Hain to Iowa. As they're on two-way contracts with the Iowa Wild. So I know Dugar... Kara got sent down by Minnesota to Iowa, so maybe we see Novak or Hayne head back to the Heartlanders to provide a little bit of an offensive punch. But, you know, that's the nature of the hockey and the ECHL. You know, they're the only ones without a team to call somebody up from. So it just makes it tough when you get guys called up. It just wreaks havoc on your team depth. I see they made a trade today Jumping with um, Florida. The name of the player. Uh, let's go look that up there. Uh, Matt, I'm not click. It's not clicking with me either. Let me go see if we can pull that up here real quick. There we go. And we're talking about uh, just fans talk amongst yourself at the moment. Yeah. And another thing, too, um, Brett uh, Budgell, a uh, forward, got called up from Iowa to the Iowa Wild. So, I mean, that's another yet another forward that I'm not seeing it on the league transactions. At no. All. No, I'm not either. What could happen later in the day? We're slacking today. Our apologies about that. Maybe we could track it down before the end of the show. We'll mention that in there. Moving on to, up to the AHL, Kevin, and the Iowa Wild. Get off to a great start this week with a one nothing victory over Chicago on Wednesday. Uh, then travel onto the road where they get hammered by Rockford on Friday. 
then head to Milwaukee where they are edged two to one in that game on Saturday in overtime. So they go one one and one with the week uh, to come away with three points. Impressive victory there over Chicago, but uh, Rockford and Milwaukee, those are teams that you know you're 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 battling for playoff positions. It seems like every year for these teams and Rockford, especially on Friday night, very tough night for the team. You know, usually those matchups with Rockford, it's usually it's going right down to the end of the game too. So it's kind of rare that we see a game with those two teams that where it was pretty one sided. Well, let's start on Wednesday, Kevin. Jesper Wallstead looks fantastic in this game, saves all 31 shots he faces. The only goal of the game came 221 in the contest with Iowa on the power play, and Nick Sweeney scores his first goal of the season since rejoining the team. Nick Patan with his sixth assist already of the of the season, and Jake Lucini with a, an assist on the other assist on the power play goal. Um, after that, it was just the total Jesper Volstead show. After just four shots for Chicago in the first, they put on 16 in the second and 11 in the third. Volstead, though, had his best performance of the season. Has definitely been the better of the two goaltenders early on here, with the exception of Friday night. Um, but uh, fantastic performance of him. And it looks like he will get a, a little bit more of the action, it looks like at this point, by the way the coaching staff has played things. So Volstead proving to be the guy that they can depend upon. I think so. I, you know, he's the number one draft pick. I know they don't want to wear him out, but yet you would like to see him pick it up a little more of the workload. You know, I'm interested about that, Kevin, from you, because um, we saw Capo Kakinen uh, was a guy that was very high in the system and had extremely impressive numbers down in Iowa. But by February... And even we've seen that in, with his time in San Jose and with his time up the NHL and with the Minnesota Wild. It seemed like by like February, he was kind of wearing down every year. Not, never really got to a point where he was strong down the stretch. And, and I wonder if maybe the organization has learned a little bit from that and thought, boy, we better get Volstead in here and, and try to give him more action early on to see what we're going to have at that, at that time later on in the year. Maybe I'm off base. What, what do you think about that, though? Well, it's possible, but I just think that Kakinen was more of a goalie that was going to going to be a NHL backup like goaltender, and that seems to be his lot with uh, even with the San Jose Sharks right now. On Friday night, the team travels to Rockford, where they give up five unanswered goals to begin the first or begin the contest, including three in the first period. A very tough night for Volstead. Uh, who gave up uh, six goals on just 25 shots in this contest. I will say that Iowa did make a little bit of a game of this late. After trailing 5 nothing. Stephen Fogarty scored his first goal of the season with a little over two minutes left in the second. And Greg Mirrorless came up with his second goal of the year, 127 in the third. But a power play goal by Joey Anderson kind of closed out the scoring. Two power play goals for Rockford in this contest on three chances. Just a very tough night for the team overall. And, you know, as you said, Kevin, there's usually been for great games against Rockford, but not in this case. No, it wasn't. It was decided early. And like you said, they made a little bit of a run, but it was not meant to be. Um, looking at the box score here, Kale Kessie, who I think Iowa fans are going to really grow to like, he's – basically going to be what Brandon Baddock was last year with the 
wild, and he's ironically enough moved on to Rockford now. Let's see, the Kessie racked up 10, 20, 25, 27 penalty minutes for the game. So think about it, that's like almost um, half half a game right there. Absolutely. So he's going to be that kind of enforcer guy out there, you figure, that's going to lay down the law when they need that to happen. The team does rebound fairly well. It winds up losing this game in overtime in Milwaukee on on Saturday, Kevin, 2-1. to one. But they fall behind one nothing in the second. Nick Patan scores his first goal about six minutes later to tie the game. Then uh, Milwaukee gets a, a goal just 25 seconds into overtime to come away with the victory. Zane McIntyre, who had really struggled early on in the season, Kevin, stops 45 of 47 shots in this game, looked very impressive, had a couple of point-blank opportunities against him. Um, both in the in the first and in the third period, especially that first period where the team was outshot 20 to three, he was the reason they were even in that game in the first place. So nice rebound performance by McIntyre after a very tough start to the season, and maybe we're going to see him back on track. I think this was his coming out party for the season. I was I did not get the, a chance to watch the game, but obviously you know the numbers tell the story that that um, Milwaukee was the fresher of the two teams, and it took a otherworldly like effort by McIntyre to, for Iowa to come out with a point. You know, it was an impressive effort where the losing goaltender still gets the, the number one star of the game. Absolutely. On the road, too. So, you know, yeah. the, the, much appreciation by the Milwaukee people out there to, to, for how well he was doing that game. Two, four, and one, Kevin. Seven games of the season. Uh, right now, that puts them in sixth place in this division with the 357 winning percentage right now. Uh, the Wild return home on Thursday to welcome Milwaukee in a 10:30 morning game. There, school day game. It should be an exciting opportunity to see what this team will do to coming out of the weekend. And then Texas comes to town for games on Saturday and Sunday. That 21-hour turnover as they start at 6 o'clock on Saturday and 3 o'clock on Sunday. Neither of these teams are, are easy marks in this division. Texas off to the top record so far this season in the Central Division, Kevin. So team has its work cut out for them here with Milwaukee and Texas coming to town. They do, and you know that I was going to want to at least the offense is going to want to put on a little better show than they did in Milwaukee on Saturday night. And then it seems like Texas has had a lot of success in playing in Iowa the last couple of years. So, you know, the Wild are going to want to make a little bit of a statement to their um, friends from Texas in that one. Kevin, I'm I'm interested about your thoughts. The Iowa Wild, the most penalized team in the AHL to this point, is that a a statement the coaching staff is making, Brett McClain making with his team early on, or just kind of a little bit of a fluke thing that it's an anomaly early on in the year? Well, yeah, fluke thing. We know we just talked about Kale Cassie and all the penalty minutes he racked up in the game on Friday night. Uh, you know, you're that early in the year. You got a game where one guy alone gets 27 minutes. Obviously, the penalty minutes are going to rack up, but I wouldn't um, read too much into it at this point. 
Well, we're going to see what kind of toughness they have to continue on. And speaking of toughness, Kevin, uh, Minnesota Wild, as you mentioned, have a huge victory to start out the week with a 7-4 win over Edmonton, then get hammered by Philadelphia a couple nights later, lose in a shootout to Washington on Friday night, then drop a one-goal game in New Jersey on Sunday, finishing 0-2-1 on the road, 1-2-1 for the week. Uh, man, it got off to such a good start, and how quickly things can turn on you. No doubt, and the fact is, let's just face it, this team right now has given up way too many goals to um, be a winning club. Matter of fact, I believe their goals against and save percentage and all those sort of stats are right now towards the bottom of the NHL, which is such a departure from where this team ended up last season. It looks like, you know, I, I do remember last year the, the the Minnesota Wild got into a lot of early games where they were not playing very well defensively. And then it seemed like about a month, a month and a half of the season that something seemed to click with them. They tightened that up, and things just got a lot stronger. Very young defensive group this year, Kevin. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see if they can have that same kind of turnaround with this group because I, I – you know, a lot of young guys to try to teach the NHL system to. And that's a key thing, too. Last year, it was a much experienced, much more experienced blue line. Matt Dumbo was still around. Um, say what you want about him, but he was a seasoned pro. And right now, you know, you're looking at a blue line with John Merrill, who's kind of under fire for his play right now. Kaitlin Addison is... Still going through growing pains. Dakota Mermis, for the most part, has been a career minor leaguer. I mean, Brock Faber, guy fresh out of college, him and Jonas Brodine are your main defensemen right now. And anyone that wondered what Jared Spurgeon's value to this team is can just look at the way the blue line is right now and figure it out really quick. Well, let's start with the game against Edmonton, Kevin, last week. And um, Minnesota trailing Edmonton three times in this contest by a goal. Marco Rossi, Rossi, I guess I should say, who went back to that. Ryan Hartman uh, and Ryan Hartman wind up getting goals to to tie the score at three. It's five goals in the third period that propels Minnesota to the victory. A seven four win over Edmonton. Nice performance, Ryan Hartman with a hat trick. Those five goals, impressive performance. It shows that this team, when they're on you know, connecting with each other, they, they they have quite an offensive group that can really put up goals and put them up in a hurry. Especially that top line when everything's connecting with them. You know, you've got Hartman is hopefully going to bounce back to a form from two years ago when he had 30-plus goals. Um, Matt Zuccarello's established as a goal scorer, and Kirill Kaprizov is a young superstar in the league. And when that line is on, I mean, they can make a lot of things happen in an awful quick hurry. i got to imagine Edmonton had no idea what hit them in the third period on Tuesday night. Well, as impressive as that was, Kevin, uh, the team then traveled on to Philadelphia on Thursday. They fall behind 3 nothing as the Flyers score a goal in the first and add two in the second. Nice rebound early on in the third period. As you mentioned, Dakota Mermis comes up with his second goal of the season. Marcus Foligno then adds his second goal. All of a sudden, the 3-2 game, 
But Philadelphia puts this game away with three goals over the final about 14 minutes left of that contest and comes away with a 6-2 to two win. Uh, it was kind of a little bit of a shocker and kind of a letdown after how well they had played against Edmonton, but they just had really no answers for the Flyers. Well, conversely, as good as their top line was against Edmonton, they were invisible against Philadelphia. As a matter of fact, they, one of the back-breaking goals was from a turnover on the blue line by Kirill Kaprizov just trying to make too much happen and caused a breakaway goal that put the game away. So it shows you how much Minnesota does depend on that top line at this point, though they are starting to see a little bit of punch from Marco Rossi. But, boy, you know, with Freddie Gaudreau out, with uh, Matt Bode out, you know, their t- their depth has really been tested up front. Gustafson with, uh, gives up six goals in the game, six goals on 35 shots, two power play goals for Philadelphia in this contest. They then travel on to Washington, Kevin, on Friday night, wind up losing this game in overtime. Uh, you know, from the, Let's at least look at the positive. After being kind of beat down by Philadelphia on Thursday, um, they, you know, back-to-back games isn't easy, especially on that on an East Coast trip, Coast trip like that. But you know, drew down deep and wound up coming away with at least a point out of a game um, on back-to-back nights. I, I I thought that showed some character for the club. I thought they played a pretty good game, and you know, the comments coming out afterwards was that they were happy with the effort they put out. They just couldn't. Um, get that goal in regulation and then getting shut out in six rounds and the shootout um, had to be frustrating as Mark Fleury, Mark Andre Fleury was incredible in that shootout to keep Minnesota in it as long as he did. But, you know, like I said, with Gaudreau and Bodie out, that was, that's two guys that you would normally be throwing out there in a shootout to try to get a victory. And they had neither one at their disposal. Rossi with his third goal of the season, Ryan Hartman with his fifth in that contest as they uh, continue to get some offensive production. You mentioned about Rossi and how important his performance has been early on as they're looking for somebody on that second line to step up. And, you know, he was a guy last season, Kevin, who did not do very well in his audition with the team uh, up in the, with the big club, came back to Iowa, really caught fire over the last month for the Iowa Wild came into this season, has performed pretty well. I think they got to be pleased with what they've seen with him so far this year. I think the the work that Rossi put in with um, Andy Ness, the skating instructor for the Wild, has paid off, and he's put a lot of work in the weight room, and I think it's shown that he's been able to handle the physical game thus far and has just been a faster and more dominant player on the ice. On Sunday, they drop a 4-3 to game against New Jersey. Uh, uh, Minnesota drops behind 1-0 in the first period, but is able to get two unanswered goals, including the sixth of the season for Ryan Hartman. On the power play in the second period, he scores to make it 2-1. to But then it's all New Jersey for a while after that as they get three goals over the final 14 minutes of the second period to wind up jumping out to a 4-2 to lead. Minnesota does pull within a goal uh, late in this contest, but could not get the equalizer. If they drop a big game in New Jersey, tough road trip out there in the Metropolitan Division where 
you know, last year I think that they had a bit of success in this part of the, the country when they traveled out there, but that doesn't look to be the, the case early on here. The Devils are such a tough up-and-coming team, too, that I wasn't really going into the night with a lot of optimism. But late in the game, trying to get back into it with the extra man, it was like they had a power play, too. And it's just a lot of passing. They weren't getting shots through on goal. And then when Kaprizov finally shot a puck, it um, hit Matt Hartman in the leg. So it just was not meant to be for the Wild on Sunday afternoon in New Jersey. So the team is 3-4-2 and two heading into this week's games, Kevin. That puts them in fifth place in the Central Division. The big thing I'm looking at right now is they play the most games right at this point. Uh, for example, Dallas, who they are just a, a point behind, has played three fewer games than them right now. Winnipeg and Nashville have played one game fewer. Then you got Colorado with 12 points right now, leading the division at 6-2-0. and zero. The Minnesota Wild uh, will begin November here uh, with a game at home against New Jersey on Thursday, then have the New York Rangers coming to visit on Saturday. So just a couple of games this season, but not easy opponents and, and two more Metropolitan Division teams coming out there to take on the team this week. It's been a crazy schedule. It's just been a lot of games against the Eastern Conference early on in the season, and two tough ones coming in with the Devils and the Rangers. But... It sounds like Boldy and Spurgeon are both practicing with the team again, so maybe by Thursday we see one or both of those guys back in the lineup again, and maybe by Saturday we got a completely healthy wild team again, other than it sounds like Gaudreau's injury is going to put him out for around a month or so. So slowly but surely they're starting to get healthy again, and maybe we can see some chemistry built up as this team gets all their offensive weapons and gets their blue line short up a bit. I think this bit of a break where they got no games Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before the game on Thursday, I think that helps out, gets them some practice time, allows them to work on some stuff. It's interesting you were talking about the schedule, Kevin. After having New Jersey and New York this week in town, they then go back out to the East Coast to take on the Islanders next Tuesday the Rangers on Friday and, or excuse me, on Thursday, and the Buffalo Sabres on on Friday before then traveling on to Dallas. Um, well, they're kind of a nice Dallas. light week this week. Oh, yeah, you're right. They come home to face Dallas. Yeah, you're right. Um, kind of a nice light week, if, if you think about it, with just two games this week. But then, man, a, another trip out to the East Coast and then having to face a huge division rival in Dallas on Sunday uh, th- this schedule is a very tough one early on for the team. And, and one, you just say, well, you can't go, well, we can have a bad week or whatever, because this division is brutal. I mean, you've you got to be on the top of your game almost every week right now, or you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. And I think the game's played, that's going to balance out in the next couple of weeks here, because after that stretch, where after the game against Dallas on the 12th, I believe they are off the entire week, and that's when they go play the two games over in Sweden on Saturday and Sunday. Yes, with uh, Ottawa and Toronto, I believe, is that matchup for them. So Crazy beginning to the year right now, Kevin, but um, 
as we mentioned, last season the Minnesota Wild got off to a little bit of a tough start. Defensively, we're giving up a lot of goals early on. We're able to figure out something as the coaching staff was able to tighten up on that. And now we're just going to see if this young defense can come up and do something. Right now, I, I don't really think you look at this and decide to panic. You're not going out there and making some major moves to fix your your blue line out there. But but they it looks like they, right now they, they need a veteran blue line guy out there that can add some grit and, and a little bit more talent for this time team, it looks like to me. Well, the problem is they're so hamstrung by the salary cap right now that there's not many moves they can make. They did make – we forgot to bring this up with uh, – they did sign Andy Walensky to an AHL deal. Um, Walensky was a Minnesota Duluth product and has played in the NHL, I believe mostly with the Anaheim Ducks, but was with was in the Chicago farm system last year. So depending on what Walensky's salary is, maybe that's a guy that could get, could get called up in time if the salaries end up working out. But it, Minnesota just really – Without giving up um, guys currently on the roster, they there's not really any moves they can make to get upgrades at all on anywhere in the roster. Very serious issue for the club right now, Kevin. And so we're interested to see what management is able to do to try to bolster the success of this club. Well, Kevin, we are here at uh, Halloween time. And Halloween time is always fun in the NHL as well. So do we have a good Minnesota Wild Halloween story looking back in history? You know, I really don't. And frankly, you know, I don't want to end this um, story on a downer, but I think we we would be remiss if we didn't um, mention the tragic accident that happened in a game in the in Britain last Saturday night. Andy Johnson, who was a high school hockey star with Hibbing, played a couple of years for Minnesota Duluth, played 13 games with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, scoring his first and only NHL goal in Minnesota as a Penguin on opening night in the 2019-2020 season, died as a result of an on-ice incident or I should say accident, not an incident, an accident, where him and a player collided. The player, he collided with tumbled, and his skate cut his neck, I believe hit an artery, and unfortunately Adam Johnson was not able to survive. And I'll tell you, Rob, I'm watching hockey games yesterday, and as much as I root for the Wild, I Yesterday, I just had a hard time caring just thinking about what happened on Saturday night. Unfortunately, I made the mistake of watching the replay for like three seconds, and folks, don't don't go watch it. Trust me, you don't want to. It's just sad. You know, uh, I've got a friend in Hibbing that are friends with the Johnson family, and I know a lot of college players that played for in Minnesota and now we're playing in the NHL, AHL. They all knew they played against Adam Johnson. They liked Adam Johnson. He was a likable guy, and it's just just tragic what happened. And I hope that through this, the, somebody can develop a neck gear that players can wear comfortably, 
but yet be protected from something like this ever happening again. Well, I will say that uh, my uh, my grandson now in youth hockey, they have uh, a guard that they do wear around their neck. It's it's an additional piece of very durable two-sided cloth um, that they put around there, so it is fairly comfortable on his neck. He didn't like wearing it at first, but um, the league out there mandated it for uh, all these youth kids, which is good. Um, you know, every when I, I the very first time. I saw an injury like this with the Clint Malarchuk thing uh, back in yes. 83, 84, whatever year that was. Um, and then there was the Ryan Zelnick one uh, in Buffalo about 10, 12 years ago or so. And every time you, you see these events, there haven't been a lot of them, but when you see them, everybody always says they're surprised there's not more. And I'm surprised there's not more, you know, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's like you're surprised there's not more pitchers who are hit in the head by a line drive back to the box. Okay, so it, it is definitely something you go, wow, there, there should be, by, by the, the sharp skates and, and things that go on, you think that there would be an injury like this every year. Um, but in a way, as tragic as this is, hopefully the silver lining out of it is that somebody will say, okay, we need to get serious about protecting somebody's neck. And, um, you know, like they at points like they protected the groin area with a cup at one time and shin guards got better and more, more comprehensive in the way that they cover the knee and, and around the shin area and shoulder pads are a ton better than when I was a kid uh, in terms of how much they're covering now. It's time to seriously look at what they need to do for somebody's neck because uh, guys are going faster. They can stretch longer and, and, uh, get up higher on, on things. And even with a stick, you can wind up doing some serious damage to somebody's neck. So hopefully out of this, somebody will step up and go, okay, we need to start making sure we're creating something to really ensure this type of accident doesn't happen again. Well, basically, you got every guy that skates on the ice at any time, they basically have two knives at, on the bottom of their feet. Okay. And... I was reading an article today with T.J. Oshie. He's part of a hockey company that has a protective um, neck gear that's like part of a shirt. But, he, you know, the point he made, these arenas that the NHL guys play in, it is not, you know, it's not like your rink up in Everest that's going to be cold in the winter. You know, to keep fans comfortable, the – Ice obviously is taken care of, but in general, these guys are playing in arenas that are pretty warm. So he said they go through several undershirts a game. Now, throw a neck, uh, like a basically like a turtleneck on top of that, and it's not going to be very comfortable for the players. And you just hope that, you know, there's a material or just some way where they can wear something that's going to protect the neck, but yet um, be somewhat comfortable when they're on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know something is talking about like a turtleneck idea or whatever. Um, I'm sure a lot of equipment that guys wear was not comfortable for them to wear it at first. But you know what? 
you grow. Equipment gets better and better and is more flexible and and easier to wear over time and, and things. And so um, it will it will get better and it just it just makes sense. Uh, the the part of this, Kevin, that I, I'm I'm a little stunned by is that there's they they had like the police investigating this and there was all kinds of talk about did he intentionally do this or whatever i mean how do you intentionally get your leg up in the air and go at somebody's neck it's just a weird accident that happens every you know long time and in, in, in between when it occurs but let's not make this into something more than it is i'm sure the guy that is is the whose skate winds up cutting adam johnson feels horrible. I, I, I don't remember who the player was that, that wound up cutting Richard Zelnick's neck um, from the, the Panthers, but he felt bad too. You know, I mean, it, talking to him after the game, he, he felt miserable. And it's like these, these, guys, these guys have a brotherhood. So let's get off the stupidity and, and just keep it to the sensible thing and focus on how to keep this from happening in the future instead of dumb parts about how somebody tried to injure another guy. That's ridiculous. You know, hockey is such a fast game. There's no way a player is going to be able to think that quick. Collide with a player. Oh, I should get my skates up and try to get them. Yeah. No, it's, it's it's stupid. It's just stupid. And yeah. Nobody could premeditate such a thing. And, you know, there was another incident over the week where Cal Clutterbuck of the Islanders um, – Checked a Brandstrom, I believe the kid's name was, for Ottawa. Clean check into the boards, but then Brandstrom, when he fell from the check, hit his head on the ice and then um, was injured because of that. He even it looked like he was even having a bit of a seizure on the ice. And I mean, Clutterbuck just felt horrible about that after the game. Yeah. We all know Cal Clutterbuck plays a hard game sometimes borderline between being a little bit dirty, but never really crossing it. And, yeah, Clutterbuck just felt horrible afterwards. So, like you said, these guys, it's a bit of a brotherhood that they have. And you could tell with all the tributes yesterday and tonight, all the tributes to Adam Johnson that, you know, there's um, if there's one thing that this does sometimes, I think it brings all the players together in support of um, one of their brothers. And you know too, Kevin, is that over the years we've seen some some pretty flagrant stuff go on with guys using their stick in a way that can be quite dangerous, slashing towards a guy's head or trying to spear somebody or something. And and, and I look at those. I mean, the the goal of that was let's be honest is to, is to try to hurt somebody. Okay, no denying that if you, if you're spearing somebody in the chest or or blasting somebody over the top of their helmet with with your stick, you're you're looking to cause some harm. But everybody understands there's a different kind of thing with your skate. Um, as, as you mentioned, that's that's a knife that, and the incidences that we've seen in, in, have been very serious to cutting somebody's neck. You you know you have the that the, you're you're on the verge of killing somebody. So to even come up with any other thing other than this is an accident is just ridiculous. So. Let's be common sense and, here, folks. And, you know, and building on that, too, uh, in the same story, they wonder if at some point we're going to see players playing with a full cage on because 
you know, if you just got the shield on, uh, you could get in a collision with somebody and their skate could come up and cut your face. That's happened to several guys. So, yep. Absolutely. And maybe they should, you know. When when Kevin and I were younger, people didn't have to wear helmets. Then people didn't have to wear visors, you know. Now pretty much you see everybody with all, with the, everybody's got to have a helmet. Most people have some kind of a visor now across there, and it really, to be honest, I never understood just protecting your eyes and not the rest of your face. Um, to, even if it isn't a skate, a puck to your to your mouth or whatever, and and all these guys are wearing in college and juniors, so it's not a big deal to transition to that uh, and keep it in the pros. So um, it just makes sense. Be, be, safety first is what we say. Right. Well, Kevin, I think that closes out here for tonight on uh, Systematically Wild. So thanks for joining me again this week. My pleasure.